Good morning, family. Uh, it's great to be together this morning. Uh, just our friend from the other side of the world uh, send their greetings. Uh, they miss all of us, obviously. Um, just reminded of how truly blessed we are to be in a place in a time where we can gather like this without fear. It's just not the reality in many parts of this world. So we should be grateful for that. So our scripture reading this morning, Second uh, Corinthians chapter 10, Second Corinthians chapter 10. If you're unfamiliar with scripture, you can find that on page 969 uh, in the black Bible that's right in front of you. 2 Corinthians chapter 10. We're going to start this morning in verse 7. Look at what is before your eyes. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, so also are we. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be ashamed. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one another, they are without understanding. But we will not boast beyond limits but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. For we are not overextending ourselves as though we did not reach you. For we were the first to come all the way to you with the gospel of Jesus Christ. We do not boast beyond limit in the labor of others, but our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged so that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you without boasting of work already done in another's area of influence. Let the one who boasts boast in the Lord for it is not the man who commends himself who is approved but the one whom the Lord commends. Let's pray. Lord, we come to you this morning we recognize that we live before your face each and every day. We pray for our pastor as he comes to preach this morning that we would hear the truth as it is presented in Scripture, that you would bring about repentance in our lives where necessary and encourage us in areas of faithfulness, that we would continue to be a lighthouse for the gospel here in Indianapolis and around the world. We pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.
As I said, looking back on 10 years of ministry, it is difficult not to just praise the Lord. Um, More than, uh, quite frankly, cards uh, and gifts, though they were both appreciated. The words in the cards that you gave, um, speaking of what the Lord has done, uh, is what is particularly encouraging to anyone. And so... I am thankful for that. I am thankful that uh, the Lord brought us here. You have been uh, patient and generous and kind to me and to my family for 10 years. Uh, I have walked through very difficult uh, physical adversity in the last 10 years, and uh, His grace in you was revealed in your care for me and for my family during those times, um, even up to the present day. And so uh, I cannot help but thank you and praise the Lord for that. But in looking back, uh, last week we also looked forward just a bit to what we want to be, how we want to grow, the kinds of commitments we want to have particularly in the year 2020. And I want to recall these five goals, these five, six goals, five goals for you uh, briefly, um, because in a couple of weeks, you're going to be asked as a member of Gray Road to commit to these things with your name on it, to say, yes, this is what I will commit to do for the glory of God and for the growth of my own soul and for the good of this congregation. And so to remind you, those things, first of all, in feeding our public worship, we want to do so through our private worship. So we want to commit to daily, not just when I get around to it, not just when I see. We want to make a commitment to discipline ourselves to daily be in the Word and praying. And we're going to provide a few different avenues of Bible reading resources to help you. In the matter of equipping, we want every single member of Gray Road committed to a Sunday school class or a growth group or both in the year 2020. When it comes to encouraging, we want every member of Gray Road to commit to having two individuals or families that they don't know, extending hospitality, bringing those folks into your home that you might that our fellowship might grow in its meaningfulness. That's what one of our ways of glorifying God is, and is encouraging one another in meaningful fellowship. And then we want to be every member of Gray Road praying for and seeking to share the gospel with one lost human being in your sphere. And on top of those four, in order to fuel them, to empower them, Our goal is that at least 75 members of Gray Road every single first Sunday of the month in 2020 will be here gathered together praying, asking for the Lord's help, for the Lord's blessing on all of these things. And so uh, in a couple of weeks, we will ask you to to formally commit to those things, Um, but I wanted to remind you of them. Now, 2 Corinthians chapter 10, this second part of the second two-thirds, if you will, of uh, the second two-thirds, there aren't four-thirds in a whole, so this, 
We already did a third. We're going to do the other two-thirds today. A word comes up that happens 17 times in chapters 10 to 12, 20 times in the whole letter, and 25 times when you take into account uh, 1st and 2nd Corinthians. It's a word that appears here twice as much as it does anywhere else in the New Testament. And it's the idea of boasting. Boasting is simply part of life in 21st century America, is it not? We are less than a year from a presidential election, and as we are bombarded with ads and campaign speeches and debates, we will hear boasting, speaking highly of oneself and also speaking poorly of one's opponents. Boasting fills the sports world, trash-talking players and over-the-top celebrations meant to exalt self, fans filling living rooms and sports bars, boasting. If their team is great, boasting in today. And if their team stinks, boasting in the day when they were great or boasting in the day when they will be great again. Boasting fills the marketplace. I mean, if you need a job and you start tomorrow, you start a job hunt tomorrow and you are putting together your resume, my question is, are you going to put all your failures in your current job on that resume? I mean, no employer is going to think you're perfect, but when you write your resume, you, you put down the good stuff and you leave out the bad stuff. That's their job to ask you about in the interview. You're to highlight your accomplishments. But even if you're not a political candidate or a sports fan and you're not on the look for a job, you still have an incredible platform for boasting at your fingertips. It is social media. Social media is basically the democratization of boasting. Everyone gets a microphone. Everyone has a platform. Just log in and start. But friends, boasting does not remain outside the walls of the church. Emails still hit my inbox from evangelists who want to come and preach a series of services here, and somehow they guarantee particular results. Boasting in X number of converts there, and X number of converts there, and let me bring what I do to Gray Road. We have a group of people who are helping us to look for the next principle of our school ministry. Chad McFadden is leading them, and that team is made up of Isaiah Helms and Carol Morrell and Janice Schaefer and Polly Shingleton and Justin Willis. And you need to pray for these folks. The task that they have is not an easy one. But Chad and I were talking even this week about how some of the resumes are not just merely introductions of oneself. There is self-promotion, almost as if to say, you would be foolish not to give me real consideration. But this is nothing new. It's not limited to principal resumes either. It extends to pastoral resumes. But there's nothing new under the sun. 
In the first century, philosophers and teachers needed students. They needed followers. And one of the main ways that they would try to create a buzz in the community was to boast. Boast in their achievements. Boast in their wisdom. Boast in their status. If there had been publishing, they would have provided you a a boasting amount of things they had published in the academic world. And what's going on in Corinth as we come to this text is that, remember, there are new teachers on the scene. But they're not just new. They're false teachers. But they're trying to gain a following for themselves, and they do this in part by proclaiming themselves as great orators and accusing the Apostle Paul of great weakness, seeking to discredit him. And the whole of the letter is basically a defense of Paul's ministry, of its authenticity, of what authentic gospel ministry actually looks like. And his authenticity as an apostle. Not for his own sake, you understand, but because of the gospel, for the sake of the gospel. So as we get here to this section, in response to the boasting that's been going on in Corinth, you know what Paul will do? Boast. He's a reluctant boaster. But he does speak of his integrity, he'll speak of his pedigree as a Jew, he'll speak of visions and revelations that the Lord has given him, but his boasting is different than his opponents because he takes no joy in it. In fact, at one point he says, I feel like a fool doing this. I'm going to boast for just a minute, I am an absolute madman for doing this, but let me just go ahead and tell you something. That's the kind of thing he's conditioning all his boasting on, this is the most ridiculous thing that anybody should be doing. And so, he does boast. But as you get toward the end of chapter 11 and you get into chapter 12, you find that his, uh, these ministry credentials that he is boasting in is quite unusual. Uh, the suffering that his opponents say discredits him, he says, this is the stuff that I will boast in. I'll boast in my suffering. I'll boast in my weakness. For when I am weak then I am strong. It's actually in my weakness that God's power is perfected. So in the end, Paul's boasting, keep this in mind, is for the glory of the Lord and for the good of the Corinthians. It is not for himself. And that's what begins here. Paul is boasting to glorify the Lord because he's boasting in the Lord. And that's the lesson for us. Christians should boast in the Lord not in self. Christians should boast in the Lord, not in self. Let's think about it. First, let's think about the content of Paul's boasting. Now, when we speak about boasting, we're talking about someone making known their contentment, confidence, and satisfaction with themselves and with their achievements. If you will, boasting is pride on public display. Pride rolls around in the heart. Boasting is when the heart just can't take it anymore and has to get this stuff out. And it comes out as boasting. Now, so as we go through this text and as we talk about boasting and we're all examining our hearts, don't just examine what you say. Examine what's in your heart. Is there pride in your heart that at various times would just love to burst out on the scene and boast? Because if, 
If Jesus had said, you heard it said that you should not boast, but I say to you, if there's pride in your heart, you're boasting to yourself. I mean, that's the kind of thing Jesus would say if it had been included in the Sermon on the Mount. So what is it that Paul boasts in? What does he boast about? Well, he boasts about a few things, doesn't he? First of all, he brings up the Lord's call. Look at verse 7. Look at what is before your eyes. That means, heads up, guys, pay attention. Listen carefully. If anyone is confident that he is Christ, let him remind himself that just as he is Christ, so also are we. Now, Paul's not intending to really say something about his opponents. He's not saying, hey, my opponents are Christ, and so am I. He's just making an argument here, a general statement, basically saying, if anyone can say that they are Christ, surely we can. If anyone can claim the call of Jesus on their life, surely we can. But that brings up a question, doesn't it? What does he mean by being Christ's? Does he mean, it's, it, he never talks about it this way, but does he mean being a Christian? That's what he means by being Christ. Or does he mean that he's an apostle of Christ? In that sense, he is Christ's. Well, people go round and round about this, but I will tell you this. I've, I'm convinced that in Paul's mind, there is no difference. In Paul's mind, he doesn't... You remember Acts chapter 9, right? Paul's on the road to Damascus. The Lord Jesus Christ appears to him, blinds him, sends Ananias to him and says, Ananias, what you don't understand is how much this man is going to suffer for my sake. It's not like Paul's going to live as a Christian and a church member for a while and eventually someone will call him out and he'll go as an apostle. No, 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 no. Listen to how he says it in Galatians 1. When he who had set me apart before I was born and who called me by his grace was pleased to reveal his son to me in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles, I did not consult with anyone. Now, when we read about things like being set apart before I was born, called me by his grace, revealed his son to me, we're talking about elements of Paul's salvation, his conversion, his being brought to Christ. And why is it that God set him apart? Why is it that Jesus appeared to him on the Damascus road? Answer, not just to save him, but to send him. What does the text say? All of that happened in order that I might preach him among the Gentiles. And he says it's all because of grace. He boasts in the Lord's call. Friends, we have nothing to boast about in ourselves. We read this over and over again in the Bible. We have no merits to boast of. Just like Paul, we are saved to serve in a variety of ways, but it's all the Lord's doing. All of it. We are saved by grace, aren't we? By grace. You have been saved. In our sin, we deserve nothing but God's punishment. We don't deserve God's love, but He gives it by sending Jesus. We don't deserve God's mercy keeping us from punishment, but He gives it. We don't deserve forgiveness of sin, but Jesus provides it. We don't deserve eternal life, but God gives it. 
to all who turn from their sin and trust in Him. Friend, the thing you need most in the state that you're in is the grace of God. That is the power by which we are all taken from enemies of God to children of God, from dead in our sin to alive in Christ, from lost forever to found and having a home with the Lord. The grace of God, grace, God's grace, greater than all our sin. God would tell you, even today, to turn from your sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ. And you will be saved because of His grace. But we're not just saved by grace, we serve by grace. Listen to Romans 12. Having gifts that differ according to the grace given to us, let us use them. Well, you don't understand, Toby. All I do is I know how to make a menu and plan to feed 100 people, but I can't teach. I, I mean, I can, you know, organize an event, but I can't teach. I can't blah, 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 blah. Listen, I can't cook for 100 people. I can hardly cook for eight. That's why we had to stop adopting children. Uh, no, I'm just kidding. <laughs> but the fact of the matter is, is that... God gifts us in a variety of ways. And we use them for His glory. Some of the gifts that He gives us are meant to be used in hidden away, never to be on a platform, never to find the spotlight kinds of ways. And you know what that is? Awesome. 1 Corinthians 12 says, on those parts that we, you know, that seem hidden away, we, we put the most emphasis on them. We protect them the most. We cover them the most. They're the ones we actually pay attention to the, attention to the most. None of us can look to one another and say, oh, because I'm not an ear, I've, I've, I don't belong to the body. Because I'm not an eye, because I'm not the mouthpiece, I don't belong to the body. By God's grace, you are gifted exactly as God intends for His glory and for the good of others. Never underplay the grace of God in gifting you, no matter what it is. Have you ever paused to thank God for the ways that He has gifted you? You ever find yourself just slightly a little puffed up because... I think I could have taught that better than he did. I think I could have organized that better than she did. Or do you find yourself bending down and realizing that you couldn't do a single thing for the Lord were it not for his grace? That's the posture of one who boasts in the Lord's call. And Paul boasts in the Lord's call, but he also boasts in the Lord's authority. Paul has no authority in himself. The authority he has was given by the Lord. Look at verse 8. For even if I boast a little too much of our authority, which was given, which the Lord gave for building you up and not for destroying you, I will not be put to shame. Paul has been given authority. 
Any human authority, whether it's in a family, in a society, in a church, is given by God. Romans 13 says there is no authority except what's been given by God. And what's the purpose of authority? Have you ever thought about that question? What's the purpose of authority? Parents, what is the purpose of parental authority? What is the purpose of authority in the workplace? What is the purpose of authority in the church? What is the purpose of authority in society? God does not give authority so that we can serve ourselves, so that we can exalt ourselves. God gives authority so that we can glorify Him by serving others. This is precisely what Paul believes. He says, the Lord gave it. Why? For building you up and not for destroying you. These are, these are terms that might be used in construction. So what Paul's saying is he's not coming to town with the authority of a wrecking ball to tear the place down. He's coming with the authority of renovation, one who's going to repair and renovate what is wrong. And then look what he says, verses 9 to 11. I do not want to appear to be frightening you with my letters, for they say his letters are weighty and strong, but his bodily presence is weak and his speech of no account. Let such a person understand that what we say by letter when absent, we do when present. Now, why does he say that? Now, you remember in verse 6, he is ready to come and punish every disobedience when he gets there. And he wants them to know that's not empty talk. He will do what he says he will do, but he is not trying to scare them. You understand? He is not, he is not, this isn't a scare tactic. The apostle, this isn't apostolic gaslighting. All right? Paul simply wants them to know that when he comes, he will use the authority that he's given to do whatever is necessary to build the church up so that it's healthy again, which will mean discipline. Look, I mean, Hebrews 12 says discipline doesn't seem pleasant in the moment. Do you think it's going to be pleasant when the Apostle Paul brings discipline? No. Do you think it's pleasant when parents bring discipline to children? No. But what is it intended to do? Ultimately, to build up. The Bible says to produce the peaceful fruit of righteousness. So the authority that we have even to discipline, those of us who are parents... Those of us who uh, have children to discipline, the authority we have to discipline is ultimately for the child's good and for the glory of God. Things get off track when we lose sight of that. I mean, think of the arenas in life where you have authority. Maybe it's a position of authority. Maybe not. Maybe it's just that several people seem to always want your input and always take your advice. I mean, that kind of influence is a type of authority. Why do you, why do you think God gave you that? It's not for yourself. Not so you'd feel powerful. Not so you would feel needed. Not so you could exalt yourself or domineer over others but so that you could use that authority, that influence, to serve. The great thing about the New Testament is very honest about things. I mean, authority can go wrong terribly, can't it? 
It can go wrong in a society. It can go wrong in a church. It can go wrong in a family. So Paul provides a warning. Listen to the way that he warns men in Colossians 3. Husbands, love your wives and do not be harsh with them. It is not without reason that Paul says do not be harsh with them. If it wasn't a particular pattern that it seems that men tend to be harsh, there's no reason to say this, even if it's just in the Colossian church. And then he says, fathers, don't provoke your children or they'll get discouraged. And then he extends it to the workplace, talking about masters. In Colossians 4.1, Masters, treat your bondservants justly and fairly, knowing that you also have a master in heaven. Remembering that any authority that we have comes from God and should be used as God intends will keep us from going wrong. So, manager, when you're walking in, to correct that employee, what is it that you are seeking to achieve? Not simply the exertion of authority. What, what should correcting do for that person? It should help them to do their job better, to be of greater benefit to the team and to the company and to keep providing for their family, all of those things. It is not just about coming in like a bull in a china shop and kicking everything over and making sure everybody knows I'm in charge here. The same is true in a family. Dads, when you're about to go into that room to discipline that child for the 150,000th time this week, how do you go in? Well, Paul sees there's a real tendency to want to bust in, make sure the door hits the wall on your way in, announcing your arrival, and then though that child is two feet away, I will talk to him or her like this, because the sheer volume of my voice will penetrate the heart of this little one. Don't you want to please the Lord? There is a firmness that is often needed in discipline. There is a, this cannot change. The unpleasantness of discipline for children or for anyone else does not mean the discipline should change. It means, quite frankly, the one disciplining needs to change. Because the authority to do that is not connected ultimately to familial relationship. It is ultimately related to the fact that God has set us into those positions and granted us a type of authority to glorify Him and do good in our families, in our workplaces, in our church. He boasts in that. That's where his confidence lies. That's where his satisfaction is at. 
The Lord gave the authority. The Lord called him. And he also boasts in the Lord's work. Look down at verse 13. We will not boast beyond limits, but will boast only with regard to the area of influence God assigned to us to reach even to you. So Paul's not going overboard here. He's limiting what he's saying to the work that God has given him, namely to reach the Corinthian people. Verse 14 says he's the one, he's the one who first brought them the gospel in the first place. And when this mess is cleared up, the Lord's got more work for him to do beyond Corinth. That's what he says in verses 15 and 16. Our hope is that as your faith increases, our area of influence among you may be greatly enlarged. Why? So that we may preach the gospel in lands beyond you. The Lord sent him to Corinth. The Lord's using him in Corinth to get things in order. And the Lord will send him on beyond Corinth. It's all the Lord's work. It's the same type of boasting that Paul did in Romans chapter 15. Listen to what he said there. I will, vent, I will not venture to speak of anything except what Christ has accomplished through me to bring the Gentiles to obedience by word and deed, by the power of signs and wonders, by the power of the Spirit of God. So that from Jerusalem and all the way around to Illyricum, I have fulfilled the ministry of the gospel of Christ. So did Paul fulfill the ministry of the gospel? Yes. And what does Paul boast in? Christ accomplished it through him. It was done by the power of the Spirit of God. It was the Lord's work. So he boasts in the Lord's call and in the Lord's authority and in the Lord's work. And in doing so, he is merely obeying the command of Jeremiah chapter 9, verses 23 and 24. Let not the wise man boast in his wisdom. Let not the mighty man boast in his might. Let not the rich man boast in his riches. But let him who boasts boast in this, that he understands and knows me. Paul boasts in the Lord, not in self. And we should follow his lead, which is why he quotes Jeremiah from the Septuagint version that he would have had right there in verse 18. Let him who boasts boast in the Lord. That's where the boasting belongs. That's the content of Paul's boasting. Let the Paul who boasts, if you will, boast in the Lord. But also we need to think about the reason for Paul's boasting. Start with a negative. Why shouldn't the wise boast in their wisdom? I mean, why shouldn't the mighty boast in their might? Why shouldn't the rich boast in their riches? I mean, if you've got it, why not flaunt it? Come on. Well, there's a number of things we could say here. But what Paul says is that self-approval is empty. Look at verse 12. Not that we dare to classify or compare ourselves with some of those who are commending themselves, but when they measure themselves by one another and compare themselves with one, with one another, they are without understanding. Now, as I said, the comparison game was a familiar one in Corinth, the amplification of my good qualities along with the amplification of your bad qualities. That way I can show that I am superior. Does that sound like any conversations you've either overheard or been part of lately? The amplification of one's good qualities and the amplification of the other's bad qualities so that one can establish their superiority over the other? 
And in that day, quite frankly, in this comparison game, nothing was off limits. You could talk about race. You could talk about upbringing. You could talk about social status. You could talk about education. You could talk about physique. You could talk about anything needed to get the upper hand. And in fact, boasting wasn't even just acceptable. It was considered honorable. And the truth be told, we are not too far away from that today. But what does Paul say about those who do this, who compare themselves with others? He says they are without understanding. Now, understanding is a word that means to put all the pieces together properly. Uh, when, when Jesus told parables, uh, remember he's, he talked about how confusing the parables would be to the unbelieving, and he, and he quotes Isaiah. He says, they're going to hear but not understand. You're going to hear all the pieces of the parable, but you're not going to be able to piece it together apart from faith. There's no understanding there. Now, several years ago, uh, I established a tradition for myself on Christmas Day, which is to work a puzzle. I like to work a puzzle, not like the big ones with the handles that little children have, you know, and you put, you know. So I like to work a puzzle on Christmas Day. And I don't just start a puzzle on Christmas Day, I finish. The entire notion of starting a puzzle on one day and finishing it on another is that makes no sense to me, but I will leave that aside for now. So as I do this, I want you to imagine that this Christmas day I am there at our kitchen table working the puzzle, but one of my children wants to prank me. So they've taken the box top and replaced it with a different one. I'm sure it would never happen, but that's what they do. And so here I am, furiously trying to put together the puzzle so that it makes sense, but I'm working off a picture that's leading me astray. Paul says that's what's happening here. When you compare yourselves to others, when you seek to commend yourselves, you are trying to put together the puzzle of approval, but you're using the wrong picture on the box. You're never going to make it. You'll never make it to the approval that you so desperately want by using the wrong picture. That's what self-commendation and comparison, comparing yourself to others is like. That's why he says in verse 18, it is not the one who commends himself who is approved. Boasting in self Celebrating self, exalting self, may gain self-approval. And that is what everybody's after today. If you really want to be a success in life, the thing that you will strive for is to be okay with yourself, to approve yourself, to love yourself, to hear yourself say, well done, good and faithful servant. But Paul's saying, no matter how much self-approval you may gain, you don't gain the approval that matters. Self-approval is empty. Instead, God's approval is everything. God's approval is everything. Boasting in the Lord being satisfied with Him, being content in Him, being confident 
in him and not in self. Paul links this to the approval of the Lord. Did you notice that? Look at verses 17 and 18. Let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. Why, Paul? You notice the first word of verse 18? Everybody look down at it. First word of verse 18 is what? For. Why boast in the Lord, Paul? Because it is not the one who commends himself who is approved, but the one whom the Lord commends. So apparently, boasting in the Lord is, gains the approval of the Lord. It is approved by the Lord. Boasting in self gains self-approval. Boasting in the Lord leads to the Lord's approval. Being approved here means that one is proven genuine. Genuine faith. A genuine Christian. A genuine servant of Jesus. So think of it this way. As Christians, we step into the shadows. This is what boasting in the Lord is. We descend in the shadows. And we put the spotlight on the Lord Himself. And in response, when we do that, the Lord looks at us and says, You are genuine. That is genuine faith. That is genuine service. Why? Because genuine faith and genuine service knows that God is the one who called me. God is the one who empowered me. God is the one who accomplishes His work through me, so I boast in the Lord. And having heard our faith-filled boasting, the Lord smiles down on us. And there is nothing so sweet as the Lord's smile. In response, we smile because His approval is all that matters. So that rather than striving to say to myself, well done, the Christian's life longs to hear from God, well done. Paul boasts in the Lord because self-approval is empty and God's approval is everything. Now, friend, Paul is a great example, but have you considered the Lord Jesus Himself? He was sent by the Father, approved by the Father, to do the Father's will. His whole aim is at the glory of the Father and the good of the world. He did not come to boast of Himself. He came to say only what the Father is already saying. And He gained God's approval. How do we know? Because God raised Him from the dead. This is the very vindication of who Jesus is and the fact that all of His life was aimed at the right place. He is approved. And not only that, Philippians 2 says, therefore He is highly exalted. He has been seated at the right hand of God and He is exalted to have a name that is above every name so that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord. As a result of what? 
as a result of his humility, as a result of him being obedient to the Father and serving others. Not coming to be served, no, no, but coming to serve. And because of that, we have the Lord Jesus to boast in for all eternity. The Spirit is the witness to Jesus. And we are the witnesses to Jesus. Friends, our culture, in our culture, boasting is a pervasive reality. It comes through in grand ways and it comes through in small ways. It is taught to our children. It is applauded in society to the degree that some may think, even here, that there's no way I can actually get through in business or in life unless I dabble in a little self-promotion. But the issue for the Christian is this. Our upward mobility in business, our rising status among peers, our level of achievement in any given industry, our influence in the culture may in fact be limited if we do not boast in ourselves. No question. The question is, though, whose approval do we want most? Do we want our own approval? Do we want the world's approval? Or does our heart burn to have the approval of God? If it does, then we should boast in the Lord and not in self. Let's pray together. Our Father, we come before You thankful for the gift of Your grace which has saved us from our sin, which has made us right with You. We thank You that even as those who serve You, we serve by Your grace. We do, we do nothing with any level of effectiveness at all apart from You. Apart from You, we can do nothing. The very talents and gifts that we utilize to serve You are gifts from You. Whether it's in organization or hospitality or teaching or music or working with technology or whatever it is that we do, it is because You have gifted us for it. Lord, would you give us grace that we might never forget that truth? That all our striving to serve you is done with energy and gifts and time that you provide. Lord, we thank you for our humble Savior who became obedient to death, even death on a cross, so that by Your grace, through His blood, on the ground of His atonement, through faith we could be saved. Lord, I pray that none here 
none here would believe the lie that they can arrive at the end of life and boast in themselves in such a way to gain entrance into heaven. That no list of sins we have not done, no list of virtues we pursue, no list of those we aren't like, no tearful songs, no humble dress, no recitation of the truth, no separation from the world, no work we do, no gift we give can cleanse our conscience, can make us right with you. Our righteousness is Jesus' life. Our debt was paid by Jesus' death. Knowing this, O Lord, help us so that the one who boasts boasts in the Lord. We pray all of this in Jesus' name. Amen.